0: Welcome to the Equip Cast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision,
1: to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Welcome to the Equipcast, everybody. My name is Jim Jansen. I am the Director of Pastoral Services here at the Archdiocese of Omaha, and we have a real treat for you today. We're so excited to, uh, to welcome Jeff Caven's with us to the podcast today. With me, my co-host, we have Miss Jennifer Mosier. How are you doing, Jen?
2: I'm doing really well, Jim. Good to be here.
1: So some of you know, Jen is the Coordinator for the Mentorship Formation Program here at the Archdiocese. And we are excited to dive in to the topic today. We're going to talk a little bit with Jeff about what does it mean to be a disciple? Many of you know uh, Jeff Cavins from the Bible Timeline, from his work as an author and a speaker, his most recent book, The Activated Disciple. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. So Jeff, Thank you so much for being here. Welcome.
0: No, it's a privilege to be here. I'm first time in, I mean, you're in your area since COVID broke out, so it's nice to see people face to face.
1: Yeah, or at least like the upper half of their face to see eyes, eye and, to eye, uh, yeah, eye to, eye, to <laughs> eye. I've noticed it's like, wow, like you really have beautiful eyes, Mr. Cavins. So I, you know, I was like, I haven't paid attention to people's. I'm eyes sorry. What did you say? As much. I just. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it's affecting his ears, too. So, Jeff, tell us a little bit about, even before we jump into the book, tell us a little bit about your story. Um, sure. I, I think some people probably know, but just your, your history, your life as a disciple. Give us just a little peek into who you are.
0: Well, I can give you kind of the abbreviated uh, synopsis. You know, I was raised in the Twin Cities, uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul, home of the 1987 and 91 world champion Minnesota Twins. That's a whole other story, another podcast, but I was raised in an average Catholic American home, and and as such, I really didn't know much about my faith at all, but by the time I was in 10th grade, I was starting to ask the big questions, you know, who am I, why am I here, what's life all about, and I was actually, in my senior year, I went to the state championship in stand-up comedy. And as a result of that, I ended up- Wait, ge-
1: wait, they have, a, they have a state championship for stand-up yeah, company in Minnesota. Do we have that in Nebraska?
0: No, maybe in a few years.
1: I'm like, I feel like my entire high school, like, <laughs> I would have loved to compete. In, okay, sorry, go ahead. I'm feeling <laughs> so, really cheated right well,
0: now. Well, I got some scholarships as a result out in California. Oh my
1: gosh, and he's rubbing it in. Can you believe mm-hmm. that? Okay, keep going. Sorry.
0: Yes, very popular. No, I'm kidding you. But I ended up getting a scholarship and I was going to go to California and my best friend was going out there. And I decided to stay back in the Twin Cities and take some classes, get them out of the way at a local college. It was there that I met my future wife and uh, Emily. And she told me about this relationship she had with Jesus as we went out. She didn't want to go out with me, but I talked her into it. And that night she told me about Jesus Christ and how much she loved him. And that set me on a track of just, I was in love with the Lord. And I, I kind of gave my life to the Lord, you know, in the way that she described. Mm -hmm. Now, remember I was raised Catholic, so I, I didn't think this was any big deal other than I was just saying yes to the Lord. And I pulled over on the side of the road. I said, Lord, come into my heart. I want to be born again, just like she said. I want to get saved. And you know, something happened to me that, that, that night, and I went out and bought a Bible. And at that point, I knew, I don't know why I knew, but I knew the rest of my life I would be spending telling other people about Jesus and teaching scripture. And I was only 18 years old, So I ended up studying the Bible. I left college, went to a Bible college in Dallas, Texas. When I was done there, I went to broadcasting school, radio and TV. Took my first job in North Dakota, and it was there that I left the Catholic Church formally and joined the Assembly of God. And then I went to a radio Christian radio in Iowa. Then I went back to school, and I was ordained a Protestant pastor for 12 years, and I ended up studying and studying my way right back into the Catholic Church. And I ended up at Steubenville, and I ended up getting a master's degree there and teaching scripture at the same time.
1: And, and at that time, Steubenville was kind of like a halfway house, right, for recently converted
0: Yeah, basically. I mean, it, all the people you know, we were all together. I mean, yeah. we were all together. It was Curtis Martin, Tim Gray, Ted Sri, Scott Hahn— you know, you can go on and on and we were all there just guys studying the word of God and didn't know what God was gonna do with our with our life. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it was a very interesting time. I ended up leaving there and I went to EWTN and I, I started Life on the Rock and I was Mother Angelica's substitute for six years. And uh you know, it was it's just been an absolutely incredible ride and and I'm currently just experiencing such a love for the Word of God and a love for Jesus and and I'm very excited about sharing that with anybody, anywhere, anytime.
1: <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Wait, where did you serve as a pastor in Iowa?
0: Pella. Pella, okay. I was started in Pella, Iowa. Yeah, it's a Dutch reform community, and I was with the Open Bible Standard Church in Pella.
1: Okay. Wait, I would always pass by Pella. My in-laws lived in Atumwa uh, for a while. Home, sure. Home of Radar O'Reilly, if you're yeah. a MASH fan. So, yeah, we'd pass by Pella, and oh, yeah, I had to ask because I thought yeah. I might know.
0: Yeah, and I was a pastor in Minneapolis for seven years, and five years in Dayton, Ohio. So
1: wow. Well, Jeff, tell us a little bit about your new book because it seems like it, it dovetails with so many of your life passions, your story. It's the Activated Disciple. Tell mm-hmm. us, tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, thanks for asking. I, you know, when I was a, a pastor, I started as a pastor at 25 years old. That's when I was a senior pastor, and. And I had some really good connections. One of the advantages I had, Jim, is that I I studied a lot. Even as a pastor of a non-denominational church, I studied seriously church fathers, Hebrew, all that. And I had very good connections with Hebrew University in in Jerusalem. And so I really got into studying the roots of Christianity, and I was deep into that. And the more I studied that— the more I fell in love with Jesus. And I studied two aspects. One's theology, but the other's just natural, the history of rabbis in the first century and mm-hmm. how does a rabbi raise up disciples? What does a disciple do? How do you become a disciple? What's the, the relationship between the two of them that's so dynamic? And so I love that when Paul talks to Timothy and he says, he talks about there's one intercessor between God and man, mm-hmm. the man. Christ Jesus. And Mm -hmm. so I really got into studying Jesus, the rabbi, Jesus, the the master teacher. Mm -hmm. And I was fascinated with that. So I went very deep into not only what he said, but his methodology, how he taught, how he used seven rules of interpreting scripture that were very deep. And and they're there. Most people wouldn't catch it unless you knew how a rabbi taught in the first century. But I, I started to really fall in love with this idea of following him Hmm. and i always felt like in some ways today is a little bit of a i don't know maybe second rate you know that we don't get to see him we don't get to walk with him around the sea of galilee and we have Hmm. to believe we're more we're more like thomas you know we gotta we gotta believe without seeing and i i just wanted to have that relationship with him and so that's where i started to realize that this idea of discipleship can be real in my life, that I can get up in the morning and I'm not topically driven. I'm relationally driven. Mm -hmm. And I was topically driven. What am I going to study today? What topic do I want to go deep in today? Rather than, Jesus, I I love you. I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to do the work you're doing. Mm -hmm. I want to go out there and be the body of Christ. I want to walk in the power of your name and the power of the Holy Spirit that comes from confirmation. And so I just started reorienting my whole way of looking at life to one as a disciple that really is following him. And so if I'm really following him, it's going to change a number of things. Like for example, praying. Mm -hmm. I stopped praying silently for the most part when I was alone. I started talking to him. So back in the, this was back before cell phones started. And so I'd talk to him when I was driving in the car and then people think you're, "Mm -hmm." you know, something's not, (laughs) something's not quite right. And that guy's pretty enthusiastic about something, you know, but now it seems normal to see people talking in the car. But I started to develop that relationship. And I know this sounds funny, but I started to develop the relationship as if, he was really
1: real. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was going to say. It's like, wait, wait. So you're saying you actually treated Jesus like he was a real person? I did. That's crazy. Go figure. Wow. Yeah.
0: And when you know it, it did something to my relationship. So if I'm driving in the car, turn the radio off. Lord, I, um, I don't know what to do about the situation with my daughter. I really need help with that. Is there anything from your word that you could help me with and that you could show me how to be a better father? Now, that's juxtaposed to... My heavenly Lord, I come to you. You know, that kind of—I think the Lord sometimes saying, who are you talking to? No, we're Catholic. We don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) And so I'm I'm trying to make it real. And then when it comes to sharing Christ with other people, I'm introducing him as a real relationship. Real. This is not—I don't have—I know this is true with you, Jim, and Jen— you don't have a personal relationship with theology. You have a personal relationship yeah. with Jesus Christ. And, and that's what I want to share is that personal relationship with Jesus. I don't want to stand up and say, hey, I want, to, I want to tell you, all of you, it's going to be the greatest conversation. We're going to talk about transubstantiation today. And they're like, what? Mm-hmm. But if I tell them I want to talk to you about someone who is real and how we experience his real presence with us today, that makes more sense.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, Jeff, as you're talking, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, we have the Institute for Priestly Formation here in Omaha, and one of the things that is really emphasized in that training and that formation is honesty and consistency as Mm -hmm. the measures of prayer. And what you're talking about just sounds exactly like that, that we can really say anything (laughs) to -hmm. the Lord, and that if we get up every day and we have that time with Him where we're in conversation and we really know Him as a friend— It changes everything about how we are as a disciple.
0: It does. It makes it it makes it real, you know, that I am in a real relationship with him. And there was a saying in Jesus' day that the Greeks studied to comprehend and the Jews studied to revere. And so they saw study as a form of worship. That I could go to my desk, open my Bible and my catechism and just say the sign of the cross and say, Lord, Open up your word. I'm here. You are so amazing. You're so awesome. And just begin to jump into the, the word of God and delight in my relationship. People will say, Wow, you act like he's, man, you, you act like he's really real. And I, <laughs> it's like someone saying, You know, you talk to Emily. I've, I've overheard you talking to Emily. It's almost like you think she's your wife. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it, it kind of reveals. I mean, yeah, those comments alone, not, you know, casting any judgment on there, but that it reveals so much of the gap that even even faithful Catholics, be people who, I mean, they've been daily communicants, they love the Lord, but there's a gap in their relational connection and their relational understanding of the way they relate to the Lord as a disciple. Yeah. Uh, talk a little bit about why this book now? I suspect we've already kind of like danced around it, but this is an experience from your life for quite a while ago. So you're not writing about something that just happened over the last three months. What brought it to the surface now?
0: I think what brought this idea of becoming an activated disciple to the surface right now is that I, I guess I started noticing, because I've given talks all over the country, you know, in the Catholic Church for 25 years, and you get to know people and conferences and all of that and I just started to notice that the pattern was topically driven you know the conferences were topically driven and that it was is important to know topics and, and it is to a degree to know these various topics whether it's sacraments or whatever it might be but to bring it into a personal relationship with the Lord I felt like that was the challenge and the reason that it came up to me was, About, I think it was about six years ago, my wife and I were at Easter Vigil at our parish. We probably have 3,000 families in our parish. And it was the Easter Vigil, and three people were coming into the church. Three people. Two of them were marrying in. You know, they were somewhat held hostage. They were marrying into the church. And I looked at that, and I I thought, something isn't working here. Three people— 3,000 families, we are called as a church to go and make disciples, to evangelize. And I leaned over to my wife and I said, sweetie, I said, look at this. I said, something's not right. Something isn't working here. I'm wondering if people have a personal relationship, including myself— and, and am I sh- are we sharing that personal relationship with people, or are we topically driven, which puts a certain percentage of our, our people below the line of being competent, feeling competent, that I could share anything. You know, someone asks, well, what about Mary in the Bible? Sorry, I don't know anything. I don't know my Bible well enough. And so it immediately puts people below the line where they can freely share with others, and whether that's good or, or bad. But the relationship, nobody can take that away from you in what Jesus has done in your life, in your relationship. You can share that with people. So I I just started noticing that if we continue on in the way we're going, we're losing people. We're losing buildings. We're losing priests. And if we continue on like this, how are we going to grow? What is the method of growing and the method of growing is sharing the, the good news of Jesus Christ with people, which a lot of Catholics will say, well, that's not really us. You know, <laughs> we, we grow through immigration and marriage, you know, and having children.
1: I, I mean, I can't tell you, I've shared this with the audience before, but, you know, 20 years ago, starting, you know, focus missionaries raise their salary, and I'd meet with good Catholics who when I would use the word missionary and I'd say evangelize in Bible study, they'd look at me kind of cross-eyed and they're like, are you sure? Does the bishop know? Is this okay? Because that was so foreign <laughs> in Catholic, cult, Catholic culture. Yeah. What, what's interesting to me is you tell, the, tell this story. This is six years ago and it was your home parish, right? Mm-hmm. In the last, I would say 10 years, the Catholic in the pews awareness that we're supposed to evangelize I feel like it's skyrocketed. I mean, it's like, if anything, you ask like, well, what do you know about Pope Francis? He wants us to love poor people, and we're supposed to evangelize, which is a major victory. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. now we use the term missionary disciple to toss it out like candy, but there's still a gap. I think people are aware they're supposed to do it. Talk about what's the difference between someone who loves the Lord, maybe knows that they're supposed to share him, and someone who actually is able to do that fruitfully.
0: Well, I think think the difference is in a proper understanding of really who we are as the body of Christ, as members of the body of Christ. To become a disciple, and this is why I wrote "activated a Disciple, to become a disciple is not primarily my decision. And if you turn on television these days, you will hear a lot of language of, I made Jesus Lord of my life. Jesus is Lord mm. on the throne of my heart. I made Jesus, you know, I, I, I. I, and when you look into the history of how a rabbi made disciples, it's completely the opposite. There isn't any, I made Rabbi Hillel my rabbi. <laughs> you, you never did that. Yeah. You never did it at all. You, uh, back then, in order to become a disciple of a great rabbi, which Jesus is the greatest of all time and he's God, a little advantage there, is, is that the only way you can become a disciple is if you're chosen. And so the rabbi would go around to prospective disciples, and the average number of disciples that a rabbi would have in the first century was five. So Jesus had more than average, and the great Hillel had 70. He was just before Jesus. And in order for you to be a disciple, the rabbi had to have watched you. And the one criteria for becoming a disciple or being invited or chosen to become a disciple, the one criteria was— does the rabbi think you have what it takes to become like him? That's it. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter about your income, where you grew up, your parents, your political you know, persuasion. It's do I think that you have the ability to become like me, that is to live like me and to think like me. And that's called the worldview. Now, the way the rabbi would formally invite someone or choose them is he would say one of two things. Either go ply your father's trade, which means... I'm not choosing you to be my disciple, but you're going to have a great life. You're going to be a carpenter, a fisherman, yay. But if I want to invite you to become my disciple, to live with me, to become like me, and then grow up and eventually you make disciples along this vein of thinking in life, I would say, lech acharai, in Hebrew, lech acharai, come follow me. I chose you. And all rabbis said that. In the first century the second thing that all rabbis would say in the first century was they would say take my yoke upon you and learn from me which means from a rabbi take on my worldview so in order for us to call ourselves disciples of the lord and go from fan to follower, that is, from I show up when he's at the stadium. When he comes to where the Timberwolves player, the Twins target field, you bet I'm always there. That's fantastic. I love this guy. I even bought some of his books, seventy three of them, I think. But <laughs> you know, I've got, I've got, I got them all. There's a difference between being a fan and a follower, and that the follower has said yes to becoming a disciple, which means now my life is going to be spent becoming like you. And I'm going to take on your world view, which means I'm going to be in proximity to you so you can lead me, correct me, comfort me.
1: You know, I have to say, as you talk about that, the contrast between what it means to be a fan and a follower, I think about how often young people, even that they're only supposed to be a fan, they actually become a follower. Mm-hmm. They let their their stars, their entertainment idols... Really become idols and actually shape the way they think, and they do the best they can yeah. to conform their lives, which, for the most part, isn't particularly helpful. Uh, no, it's not <laughs> for, for not a young at persons' all. faith or or health. So it's interesting. It's, it's like it's so deeply rooted in us to imitate. I'm flashing back to Paul's words, right? You know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's so deeply ingrained in us to imitate. We almost can't help it, yeah. even when we're supposed to only be a fan.
0: Well, there's a chapter in the book, it's called The Foundation of Discipleship, and the foundation of discipleship is imitation. And when you go back into the Old Testament, all the roots of discipleship begin in the book of Leviticus. And you wouldn't think that, because most people, if you look at the side of their Bible, that's the remains gold, you know? <laughs> no one's gone there for a while. But that was actually the first book that Jesus would have studied as a young boy, was Leviticus, because of holiness. And so Leviticus is when Israel is coming up out of Egypt, and in there, six times, God says, Be holy as I am holy. Be holy as I am holy. And he says to, to his people in Leviticus, You shall not obey the ordinances of Egypt, but my word— And then he also says, you need to learn to discern between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the unholy. Well, what's God doing? He's discipling a nation, and he's saying, be like me. And then you move to the New Testament, and Jesus says, I don't do anything, and I don't say anything other than what I see and hear my Father doing and saying. And then you come to Paul, and Paul says, as you said, Jim, follow me as I follow Christ. And so there's this string of imitation in there. And that's what we should do. And, and there's nothing wrong with finding someone today where you want to be like them in terms of virtue or their lifestyle and following the Lord. The problem comes in when we want to be like someone because we perceive that Christianity is successful or a, this is a, now going to be a career for me. That's where I think it goes off the rails. It goes off the rails at that point.
2: Yeah, and Jeff, as you're talking, even just going back to what you were saying about you can't be a disciple unless you're chosen, by the rabbi, and I think that it, it really goes back to the fact that that we're chosen for a relationship. Exactly. You know, and so all of the imitation, all of the, the actions of a disciple, the habits that we have in our walk of discipleship, have to be intimately tied to that ongoing relationship with the Lord through prayer, mm-hmm. through study, through all of those different things that put us in touch with the source. Yep. And so I would love to just hear a little bit more about the content of your book mm-hmm. and some of the the particular chapters in there and how sure. you laid that out and how that relates.
0: Well, you said it right, Jen, that discipleship is about being chosen. And it doesn't start with me. It started with him long ago and his desire for me and his hunger to have a relationship with me. I was a, a day late, dollar short, but I came to the game, you know, and I, I heard him. And I said, yes, I want to follow you. And Jesus even said it himself. He said... If you remember, you didn't choose me, I chose you, Mm -hmm. I chose you, and so discipleship is about being chosen, and we're living in a world today where people feel very unchosen. We live in a world where people are created for love, but they're settling for likes. They're created to be loved and to deeply love, but they're settling for likes, and they're experiencing a shallow life. What if Jesus was God? And what if he did come to Omaha? And what if he looked you in the eye and said, I love you. Come follow me. Would you say, yeah, Tuesday afternoons look great? No. (laughs) You'd say, I want to follow you all day, which comes to like a whole chapter in the book, which is lifestyle. What does your life look like? If it's topically driven, you'll find times where you fit this in. You know, I'm, tonight I'm going to read this guy's book or tomorrow I'm going to listen to these CDs or whatever it might be. And and it's all right. But you are called to a relationship. And so the shape of your day, from morning till night, the shape of your day reflects the love of your life. So before I met Emily, there was a shape to my day. It was kind of loose. <laughs> I stay up all night long at perkins restaurant drinking coffee and whatever reading books and and then we started going out and the shape of my day changed and then we got engaged and the shape of my day changed then we got married whoa did the shape of my day change and then we had children and everything changed for us my life didn't look anything like it did when i first met her likewise with the lord if you're truly in love with the lord And it's not just a topically driven relationship, but it's really a love, passion relationship where you want to be like him and you want to do what he's doing. Then from the morning till night, it will be reflected and people will see it and they'll know that you're on fire. They'll know that you're in love. You know, my wife and I, we've been married for going on 43 years and we get up every morning and I'm talking, if I'm in town, every morning every morning and i go downstairs and i make her tea and then i pour tea for both of us i set it on the table by the balcony and i sit down and i open my bible and she comes down the stairs about three to four minutes after me grabs her bible sits down and for the next hour to hour and a half every day we pray and we read scripture for the day the gospel. We do Lexio Divina. We talk to each other about what this means. And she goes off into her area of biblical archaeology. And I'm talking about scripture, because that's more important. But <laughs> and we, we have this incredible relationship. And and just this morning, because I'm in Omaha, my wife texted me and said, I so miss being with you in the morning. Just I mean, I get choked up about it. But, but the, the shape of my day is determined by the love of my life. And I cannot imagine not meeting with her in the morning because it's the most Im- important relationship you know, outside of the Lord. So our relationship is built on meeting with, with the Lord. And if I really wanted to, to tick her off, you know, tick is Greek for get mad. But <laughs> I think, you, I think, I think it, I'm just going off the top of my head. I think that's, look it up. But If I wanted to really tick her off, I just wouldn't show up there in the morning. But you know what? Neither one of us have ever done that. We've we've gone there and sat and stared at each other. Like you gonna say you're sorry? You? mm Okay. So we'll read the Bible and but we met, you know. I mean she came mm-hmm. around, but <laughs> I'm kidding, in case she's listening. I came around, honey, I know. But but that's what we meet every single day. Likewise in a relationship with the Lord, what's the pattern? You know, what does your life say? What does your schedule say about your priorities in your life? And if it is the Lord, then your schedule should reflect that. And that's part of becoming an activated disciple. And I'm, I'm ready at any time throughout the day to be used by, by the Lord. As the scripture says, uh, like a polished arrow in the quiver of the Lord, I'm ready. And so I'm, I'm like a polished arrow in the quiver of the Lord. I'm ready at any time to feel that hand come on me.
1: Okay, now I have to be honest, Jeff. I'm just like feeling jealous because when I wake up, the first thing, you know, <laughs> I like coffee, not tea, although I like tea too. But we're like, yep, making uh, coffee for my wife. And then immediately we're inundated with little ones. Sure. The opportunity to sit and do that. The shape of one's day can vary dramatically based off your profession and your state in life. Talk a little bit about what are the principles or the themes that shape the day? If you don't happen to have a balcony.
0: Sure. If you don't have a balcony, right. Well, you have an earth. <laughs> so yeah. so the, it really gets down to what we were saying at the beginning of the show. If he's real, let's act, let's act like he's real for a minute, okay? Let's act like he's real. And, and he says, I want to meet with you every day, every day. Our response, and I know what you mean by your question, but our response wouldn't be, you know, Lord, I don't have a balcony you know? So what we would do is we would say, well, when can I meet him? And and I think it's a good idea, actually, to meet with him at the beginning of the day, because that sets the tone for the day. And if you do Lectio Divina, which is this four-part way of praying scripture, you're going to take into the day some guidance, some direction, correction, and it just may be something that dealt with yesterday at work. And you might for example, go and apologize or, mm-hmm. or ask someone if you can pray for them or, or give a gift to them because you met with the Lord this morning. So oftentimes what I get, in, and we write down our findings in our little booklets, we write them down, is I take it into the day not only for myself but for us, and sometimes it's for the people I'm around during the day. I'll say, you know, this morning I was reading in the Gospel of Matthew 14, and, and I noticed that the Lord was saying, and I'm able to share something with you. So I think that wherever you can meet, the key is get a Bible and get a Bible you can live in. That means mm-hmm. you're not afraid to underline or highlight or write in the margins, cross references. N-
1: not the not the heirloom one that's like... Thirty pounds? Uh, no, not that, okay,
0: got it. no, you know it's 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 funny that people they'll they have this idea of oh, I'm not going to write in my Bible. I would never do that. I would never write in my Bible. I said, Oh, don't then. Just go out and buy another one, and then write <laughs> write in that one. You know, I, I'm with you. Don't write in that one. That you got go get another one and write in that one, and make it personal. I have with me. I've got two. I'm into Bibles. I love Bibles, and we just came out with a new Great Adventure Bible, which is kind of cool because Amazon gave us a message that the Catholic Bible was number one in the world, both Catholic and Protestant. That's pretty neat to see Catholics wow. buying Scripture. About time. All it's, right. It's just exciting to, to see that. But I have three Bibles, one here, two at home, that are so written in and, and are worn out as I've been at this now for 44 years. And each one of them are for my three daughters. Each one gets one. And I have written in the back of them a note to them that this is where Daddy lived. This is where I met with God. This is where your mother and I, we meditated on this. I've given you a few notes in here over the years. This is your gift.
1: You know, so. as you, you say that, I just have to give a, a shout out to uh, Father Mike Swanton in Columbus because he he's a pastor, uh, St. Uh, Bonaventure's in Columbus, and his father would do that. And his father just recently passed away, and one of the most precious things that he got was this falling apart, the binding's broken, it's covered, it's highlighted, but as he now goes through the Psalms, it, like he can see these places where his father was praying for him. It's such a, a beautiful example. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: it's wonderful. So get a Bible, get a little notebook, you know, a moleskin notebook or some kind of notebook. I, I suggest something that roughly is the size of your Bible so you can carry them together. Get a pen. You don't need a Mont Blanc or a Waterman pen, a bic will do. <laughs> get something that writes. And find a place that is consistent, and a time that is consistent, and just make it part of your life. That just put it in the calendar if you want. You know, six a.m. to six forty-five Jesus time, and nothing moves it out. And mm-hmm. you know, it's like anything else. Your virtue, you you start to make it a habit, and it's something that you become dependent upon, and you cherish it, and you can't imagine not doing it. It's like I can't imagine starting the day without me and my wife sitting there. The balcony. Like,
1: what would you say is a baby step? Because I know in your life and your ministry, you've had the the privilege to mentor so many people into the faith. What are like the first kind of one or two practical? Okay, start here.
0: Yeah. Well, I think what you could do, and that's a very good question, because, it, you know, a lot of people would look at me or look at you or look at you, Jen, and say, well, you know, I've seen your Bible. I can't do that, you know, or, but you can start somewhere. First of all, treat the Bible as a love letter from your father to you. This really is a love letter, and it's written to you, and it will reveal who he is, and it will reveal who you are, and it reveals his plan, and, and, and so the, it'll give you encouragement. It'll give you correction. So when you begin, make it simple. Take 15 minutes. And that's all it takes for Lexio Divina. Lexio Divina, you read the text over, and I suggest uh, starting with the Gospel of the Day. And you can get that with the United States Bishops website has the Gospel of the Day. Uh, and There's other little booklets that have it. And start with that Gospel reading. Read it through once, carefully. I suggest reading it out loud. Listen to what speaks to you. Not, uh, you know, you're not listening for interpretation or anything. It's just like, well, you know, I read Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And that one verse in Psalm 23 really just kind of said, I'm for you today. I don't know why, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to write that down in my book. And then I'm going to take the next step, which is meditation. I'm going to start to see myself in that text. And I'm going to see the Lord in relationship to me. Uh, then I'm going to enter the third phase, which is actually prayer, oratio. We call, we've call. got big names for everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Lectio, meditatio, that, you say that around people if you want to impress them. But oratio, I was doing a little oratio this morning, thank you. And then you talk to the Lord, why is that jumping out at me today? What is it about that that I need to know from you? And uh, that's where you talk to the Lord and, and be sensitive to listening because I truly believe and the church teaches that we can hear the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that everything you think is the Lord, but he can, he can give you a thought of, he makes, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Lord, why is that standing out to me? Are you saying I need to lie down in green pasture? What is a green pasture in my life? And all of a sudden you think, holy hour, I'm just going to believe that, Lord, you're calling me to a holy hour. You want me to spend some time with you. You go there after work, and uh, you lost your job, and you meet a guy there who's hiring people in your field. <laughs> you know, you never know what's going to happen in your in your life, but. Uh, that doesn't come with a guarantee by the way, but, but then after that it's, it's contemplatio and that's contemplation. And that is just plain enjoying the relationship that you have. It's like having a big dinner party and you fed everyone, you cleaned up the kitchen and you sat down at the table with a cup of tea and you're like, that was good, you know? So start simple like that and listen to what the Lord is saying to you in terms of your heart and listen to it in terms of your vocation. You're a father, you're a mother, you're, you're a son, you're a priest, you're a deacon, religious. And just start to get used to that, that the Lord can direct me on a daily basis. And what's really beautiful is when you put it into practice, and you jump out of the boat in a sense. You take a step mm-hmm. out of the boat and, and begin to experience what it is to be led on a daily basis. So I think that's something simple. You don't need to make it complex. My wife and I, when we first started, that's what it was. It was basically 10 minutes in the morning and just talking, and we read the Bible verse. And now, over (laughs) COVID—it's a funny way we say that now—during COVID, it is now not uncommon to sit for two hours with each other in the morning. And this is starting off at 6.30 or so in the morning. So at 8.30 in the morning, when we're really getting going on our day— We've already spent two hours with each other and with the Lord in pretty deep thinking and conversation and practical about our lives yeah. and, you know, ad- admitting her faults and both of our faults. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I, like, honey, I think I really need to improve in this area. Or, I feel like the Lord is doing this in my life and, and that's beautiful. And when I talk about that, inevitably, people will come up to me and say, I'm jealous. I want that in my marriage. Yeah. And so the next step is, then do it.
1: Baby step. Do Can, it. I love that first step we just talked about, and I think this is gonna be my words, but, but not yours, like just coming with a, a confidence, a faith, a conviction that the Lord actually speaks and, and that he speaks to me and that it doesn't have to be creepy and that I'm not necessarily, you know, a level five saint, that he just speaks through his word. Because I think oftentimes until someone has had an experience of hearing the Lord speak in Scripture in that very kind of ordinary, consistent, daily way, what they hear is like, first you're going to sit down and you'll be bored for 10 minutes, and then you'll be bored for 20, and then 30, and then eventually you'll have a balcony and you'll sit next to your spouse and you'll be bored and confused for two hours. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit, maybe that's just me, but (laughs) talk a little bit more about like, how is it that the Lord speaks in the very ordinary way? Because I think without that expectation and that confidence, not that the Lord has to fit into the way we expect it, but just a belief that's like, no, he loves me and he desires to talk to me. Sure. It's hard to make any progress.
0: Yeah, now, you're right. Number one is that I believe that I can speak to the Lord. I believe that I'm created in a way, and the catechism bears witness, that I can speak to God and I'm created that way. It's in me. And I'm also created in such a way that I can hear the voice of the Lord. So we get to the question of, well, how do you hear the voice of the Lord? In the Bible, it's saying all the time, the the Holy Spirit said to Philip, what did that sound like? You know, was that like a a trailer in the sky? Did the earth rumble? Did he hear something that no one heard? Philip, go up to the chariot, you know, that type of thing. Or was it a thought? Was it a thought? And I would contend that when the Lord speaks to us, he speaks to us in a way that is common to us. And that is a thought. I'll give you an example. Two days ago, my wife and I were sitting in the backyard, and I was just sitting there thinking. I had an open Bible. I had my colored pencils. I love marking my Bibles. I teach my grandsons how to mark their Bibles. They can't read yet, but they love it. And I was just sitting there thinking, and I thought about one of our relatives who had been in some very difficult, difficult trouble. And uh, we're just sitting there looking at the backyard, and had the Bible open, and all of a sudden I. I thought of this relative. I got my phone, looked at it, dialed, he answered. I talked to him for about 25 minutes, encouraged mm-hmm. him in the Lord, encouraged him, God can change your life, this and this and that. Hung up, my wife said, how did that go? How did you think of, why did you call him? And I said, because I was thinking of him. And I mm-hmm. figured that the Lord had put him on my heart. That was it. It's not very difficult, actually. Well, well that's, I mean, that's the other Hope that half doesn't of it. disappoint you. Well, no, 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 that's
1: the other half of it, right? I mean, I believe that the Lord speaks in His word. And when I have a thought or an inspiration or a desire, then I act on it. Yeah. As simple as, like, okay, I'm going to call my brother, I'm going to call my relative. And it seems like the fruit of that conversation, the, the fact that they were available is like this faith-building confirmation. I was like, yeah, I did hear from the Lord. Yeah.
0: Well, it was another time, and it happened to be the same relative years ago. And I was sitting at a Chinese restaurant with my mother-in-law, my wife, my brother-in-law and his wife. And we were sitting there, and my one relative decided not to come, you know, not to come to that particular event where there was extended family. And I was sitting there eating, and all of a sudden this thought comes, a thought, so-and-so is in trouble. That was it. It was just a thought. It wasn't even a British accent. <laughs> it was just a thought. Right.
1: That's usually a dead giveaway. Yes. Yeah, so dev-
0: if you want to know if it's God, I mean, if he's got an accent, it's got to be God. But yeah. <laughs> So I, I had this thought, uh, son, he's in trouble. So I said to my mother-in-law, I said, I, I felt like the Lord just told me so-and-so's in trouble. She goes, well, call him. This is before cells, cell phones. Right? She said, can you call him? So I went over and put a dime in, I think it was, a quarter in the machine, you know, and yeah. I dialed real quick. And uh, that relative picked up the phone crying and said, it was an accident, it was an accident. I said, what? And uh, he had stayed back, was, at, was goofing off, and accidentally stabbed uh, one of his friends. And the fire department was over, and blood everywhere. And, and that came to me in the middle of a Chinese dinner, and wow. he's in trouble. And so uh, I think you can come to know that the Lord will, will speak to you and again I I think you have to be careful of thinking that everything that you think must be God but if it's something that is different you you learn to discern and mm-hmm. that's the advantage of knowing the Bible and the catechism is knowing how does God work in
2: people's lives. Yeah, I was just thinking that as well, Jeff. You know, as you were talking what was coming to me is living a life where the Holy Spirit is living in you and is acting in you. Yeah. and gives you those inspirations, you know. Yeah. And then the the peace, the fruits that come from that. I think of Galatians 5, where, you know, St. Paul lays out the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah. And, and w- like the life of, of freedom and peace and joy that that brings, being able to discern the difference, you know, looking for those signs mm-hmm. um, and following those inspirations because we have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it's truly us.
0: the great adventure. I mean, it really, that's what I, where I got that title, you know, mm-hmm. years ago, is that following him truly is the great, the great adventure. I mean, imagine, you know... I, I don't think that Peter ever woke up in the morning around a fire and yawned and said, oh, I "Gotta follow God again today." You know, yeah. I just think it was an adventure to follow Him. <laughs>
1: another day at work.
0: Another day. Another day. Another dollar. Another shekel. But th- I think that, I think it is exciting to follow Jesus. But that doesn't mean that every day is that the dead are raised and, and that type of thing. Is there's a lot of days where we change diapers and we we cook and we we mow the lawn and. And the Lord can use all that. And, you know, you asked about activated disciple. It's also following the Lord is not something that we just do alone. We are a church, and we follow him as a church. We listen to his word as a church. We celebrate as a family. We carry out his word as a family. And one of the things I challenge people to do is I challenge people to not do this alone, but to be accompanied by what I call in the book a posse.
1: Yeah. Can you talk more about that? Because I think especially in so weird that we're like casually like, you know, during the time of the pandemic, and we just kind of casually reference, (laughs) like, I think people are feeling lonely. And many Mm -hmm. of the routines and structures that we had for supporting one another in in following the Lord, whether it be prayer, or, you know, a more kind of missional going out, a lot of those things have broken down. So talk a little bit about that the importance of the community, and then maybe a little bit about like how we adjust in the circumstances we find ourselves.
0: Yeah, I I think we're realizing when we look at the essentials that one of them is relationship. And I miss spending regular time with a lot of my best friends. I miss that. And, And that's really, really important. One of the things that we can do is truly, again, act like there's a communion of saints. You know, let's just pretend here that there are people out there that have gone before us that are in heaven and that they have been perfected and that they just might know that they have a relationship with me. I mean, just humor me. Let's just pretend that that's reality, which you know I'm I'm kidding you. So one piece of advice that a priest gave me one time was so invaluable, and I didn't realize then how valuable this would be, but he said, concerning the saints, which we have a relationship with, He said, "Don't go wide and shallow. In other words, Mm -hmm. you don't have to know 150, 300 saints." He said, "Go narrow and deep." By that he meant, get a handful of saints—four, five, six, seven saints—that you you've come to love and to you want to emulate and you respect them, and it's tied somehow to your vocation. Uh, You're a dentist. You're a father. Okay, well, is there a patron saint of dentists? Is there a patron saint of surgeons? Is there a patron saint of uh, civil engineers? You know, these types of things. So I chose uh, five in my posse. I call them my posse. And and every day I'm aware of their relationship with me. They're kind of best friends among the saints. Mm -hmm. And so I have a place in my library at home that is only the writings of my posse. And Mm -hmm. so my posse is uh, St. Joseph because I'm a father and a husband. I need his help. And I ask for him, just prayers.
1: And he doesn't take a lot of room on the bookshelf, does he?
0: No, he doesn't. <laughs> no, yeah, he's got, a, he's got a special marker or pencil, and I go through my Bibles. I have St. Joseph. I have St. Augustine uh, because I'm a Bible teacher. Mm-hmm. And I like to know that one of the greatest Bible teachers of all time is, is with me and interceding for me, uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta because I need to constantly remember the poor and the disenfranchised Mm -hmm. and that they are just as important as the the King of England or anybody else. And uh, St. Francis, because I need to be reminded of, of simplicity and that life of giving away divesting myself of the treasures of this world and really going after the treasures of, of, of heaven. And then my favorite is St. John Paul II. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I chose him because, well, I met him. <laughs> Name dropper. <laughs> but I I met him. I covered him on TV. I was so taken with this guy and the, the the spirit of this guy that I made it a goal to read all of his writings. And so I have in my library... The writings of St. Augustine. I have the writings of Mother Teresa. I have the writings that are attributed to Francis. And I have the writings of John Paul II. These are my guys. These are my gals. These, this is my posse. And so I even have a, I don't particularly like wearing necklaces, but I have a necklace with five medals on it reflecting that. And I, I keep it in my pocket mostly. <laughs> I don't like things around my neck. And I have, I have a holy card. And in the morning when I get up, first thing I say when I get up in the morning is I just say, Jesus. And by the way, with your posse, I know that the blessed Virgin Mary, I, people say, why didn't you pick her? I said, well, de, she's kind of, <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: she's there. I mean,
1: mom's kind of a given. I,
0: yeah. I'm not going to, you know, why didn't you choose Jesus? No, it's a posse of the blessed <laughs> mother and Jesus. And, and I get up in the morning and I address the Lord and say, I, I'm ready to go on the great adventure with you today. And then I call on my posse, pray for me today. Do you also pray for me? And I picked uh Saint John Paul II because he was a man who stood against the tide of culture and mm-hmm. spoke truth. and I feel at times that I'm called to do that with with boldness and love and compassion. Mm-hmm. So that, that, that's something I really encourage, is, and I particularly find this is very attractive to millennials. Mm-hmm. Like focus missionaries, they love picking their posse. They
1: love it, mm-hmm.
0: and they'll say, "That's my posse, you know.
1: Well, and the concept for young people, I mean, we truly live in a global world. And so it's not a foreign concept to be in relationship with four or five uh, other people who who don't happen to share my zip code at the time.
0: Those are your superstars. Don't make superstars out of living people who are speakers or have TV shows or podcasts and things like that. Those are not the people that you uh, want to look at as superstars. They're not. They're just like anybody else. They're struggling and they're trying to get through it. And they might have aspects of their life worth emulating as it regards discipleship or virtue or you know love, but. The, the real superstars are the people who fought the battle and they're with the Lord now. And and it's kind of cool to be able to say that I, I walk with John Paul II every day.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Jeff, this has been an amazing conversation. And uh, I think if we can, I think we're going to keep you for another conversation where we can dive in specifically to talk about what does a disciple do when we're walking with the Lord and the Lord brings us into conversation with someone who doesn't yet know him Mm -hmm. so for all of you who are with us thank you so much if you want to subscribe to the podcast you can find us on all the major platforms equipcast all one word apple stitcher google just look for equipcast and if you want to get the blog and show notes and all the other cool stuff that goes with it just go to equip.archomaha.org you can subscribe there and find everything you're looking for jeff thank you for being with us
0: thank you jim thank you jen it's good to share the airwaves with you